Today on Podcast by the Bay, we speak with District 13 State Senate candidate Josh Becker. Where are the jobs today? Where are the jobs going to be in five or ten years? And how do we prepare kids for those jobs, right? It's the old Wayne Gretzky quote, skates are where the puck's going to be, not where the puck is today. So that's why I work very closely with our community colleges here in San Mateo. That's with the UC system, where I was a founding trustee of UC Merced, our newest campus. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com. And in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty. Serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com And now, another podcast by the Bay. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for downloading this episode, and we thank you for spreading the word to all your friends about Podcast by the Bay. And so today, we're going to continue our candidate coverage for the District 13 Senate seat. And so today's candidate is Josh Becker. And you might have heard uh, Josh before. He's actually ran previously for Assembly. And so, uh, and also, Josh is actually somebody who's not only is in the tech industries, he has a background in tech, but he's also someone who's really active in the social justice field. And he's been a part of a lot of initiatives and uh, programs. So we're actually pleased to present Josh Becker today. And so once again, Podcast by the Bay does not endorse or support any candidate particularly. We merely allow our platform to be used so we can understand and hear the candidate's vision from themselves. So if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to Podcast by the Bay at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay as our handle or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcast by the bay. And you can listen to any of our shows 24 hours a day for free. And that's on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify, or any of the other podcast sites. So with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off, and we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. We have the honor of interviewing Josh Beckner. He's running for the 13th District uh, State Senate uh, position for the 2020 election. Uh, Welcome to Podcast by the Bay, Josh. How are you? Very well, thank you, Patrick. Josh, I noticed that you were born in Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. One of my leading questions always is, uh, you you came out here to California, but what what interested you um, most definitely to get into uh, public service or uh, participating in an activist mode? I know you're. Uh, you, so for the listeners out there, Josh is is educated from Stanford. He received his. Uh, Law degree in 1999. I think it was it was a double major, wasn't it? it was yeah. business and uh, and law. And uh, you've been an activist uh, quite a bit in the community for health. So why don't you tell us your journey from Pennsylvania? But you know what was bothering me the whole time I was going through your biography and trying to. I didn't hear anything too much about your mom and dad. And I want to hear a little bit first about your mom and dad, how they got you to where you're at. My mom was a social worker, and she 
her job was counseling people taking care of Alzheimer's patients. And she started actually as a school teacher. So she was involved. At, she was a biology teacher before that. And she actually got involved when they formed the union in her, <coughs> in her school. And then when she was a social worker, was involved on a bargaining team there. So she was sort of active in a variety of ways. And then my father was a law professor with a uh, deep, deep love of books. Some might say an obsession <laughs> with, with books. Our house was always crammed, every nook and cranny, with stacks and stacks of books. Our garage, 100% filled, floor to ceiling, with boxes and boxes of books. So they had a big influence on me. They taught me very much the value of hard work, the value of a dollar, and the value of education because they really stretched financially to buy into a neighborhood that they could send uh, with good public schools. So they could send my sister and me to the good public schools in the area. So they were a real inspiration to me. And they were also helped me get involved in environmental issues as well. And when I got to college, I got very involved in environmental activism and ultimately turned down Wall Street to go work in environmental consulting in D.C. So that was really my path until I took a, a, a six – I had a friend going down to Central America and I'd studied Central America. I'd done history and political science and as, as people who remember that time, uh, there was civil wars going on in the 80s and 90s and our government was not uh, – always a great actor in those situations. And I went down to volunteer and help the people there and – was going to be doing building houses and assorted stuff, but we ended up in a community of repatriated refugees in El Salvador. And what happened is we realized there's no school in the community. People have been there a year and a half, no school. So we said, okay, let's buy some, let's start a school, <laughs> a very basic school, but we'll have supplies. We'll have and buy some books and start teaching basic literacy and math. And, and that's what we did in that community until we basically couldn't get our visas renewed any longer. So we did that for about six months and then worked with some nuns in the community uh, to keep it going. But Well, congratulations on doing that. Um, I wanted to kind of go into the housing situation um, right away because it's really an important issue. Um, as you know, we've interviewed Senator Weiner. His 827 went to defeat, and we understand why, and I, I don't want to analyze that. But we also have a Senate, a Senate Bill 50, uh, which seems San Mateo County seems to be embracing it. I'm reading the Daily Post today, and uh, a county made back to housing, which is gone uh, horsely and cannabis. I don't know if it's totally passed or, or going to pass. What's your position on 50? I know the, uh, the downside for Palo Alto, where it says I think it was going to double the population of Palo Alto. I don't know if that projection is right. So what's your opinion on 50? Yeah. Which, to finish your other question, I'll, I'll try to be... Brief. You, you asked what, what got me involved in politics, and it comes back to, to, to your question. So when, when I got back from El Salvador, I, I said I, I have to be involved in our political system, and that's when I started to work on a volunteer on an upstart congressional campaign for a woman. She was the first Democrat in 116 years in the area that I grew up in, and I later became her press secretary. And Who was that? That was a woman named Marjorie Margolis Mezvinsky, and she was later famous for casting one of the most regarded as one of the most courageous political votes in modern political history, and I'm happy to talk about that at some point if you'd like. Um, 
But then she ended up with the Energy and Commerce Committee, so I was working with her on those uh, issues. I worked on other campaigns. And when I came out here, uh, I did pursue my graduate degree, which was great, something I always wanted to do. But I kept an, an issue, uh, sorry, I kept an interest in education, in affordable housing, in economic inequality. And I found a lot of other people who were interested in these same issues. They just didn't necessarily know how to be effective. So I brought them together into this group called the Full Circle Fund. And when we started Full Circle Fund 19 years ago, again, one of our three issues was affordable housing. And people forget about it now because we, then we had a big recession, but we started to have these issues in the late 90s. And, and I've been involved in this issue uh, ever since then. So affordable housing is very I important to me. And one of the issues is we've not met our housing goals. So from those late 90s, even really from the 80s, we started to fall off in terms of our housing goals every year. And there's a lot of causes for that, which I think speak to to some of the solutions, right? So I'll, I'll come back to SB 50 in a minute, but um, let's look at dollars for affordable housing, right? A lot of this comes down to, is there money for people who want to build affordable housing? And if you talk to the city managers, which I have, they'll say, even though we've done a lot recently, um, it still doesn't uh, add up, get close to what we had when we had redevelopment, right? Redevelopment dollars went to affordable housing. Now, redevelopment dollars, where some of it was misused in other ways, but it was fundamentally uh, a source of dollars for uh, affordable can housing. We, can we grab a hold of something at first? Um, and I know it's a figure that the governor is touting. He's he's touting 3.5 million yeah. housing. Now, Josh, I've always asked every candidate this question, and it's a really difficult question to answer because I don't think we have the data. What percentage of that would be affordable housing? What is subsidized housing? What is senior housing? So what we've got is a projection, yeah. and I understand the projection. The projection is based on 20 or 30 years of not being able to fulfill housing needs. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I don't know what the breakdown is of his 3.5 million, but I think you're very astute and, and wise and to bring up those categories because those are things that I talk about as well. I think we've shown here we can't just build our way out of this, especially if all we're building is market rate housing. Um, that is not going to get us where we, we need to be. We have to look at the missing middle. We have to look at specifically at teacher housing, right? That's what we've done in the San Mateo Community College District. We have 104 units. They're on public land. They benefit the, the workforce and the teachers, um, and also as income for the district, you know, for the community college district. And now we have a number of school districts that are that are looking at the same. Uh, senior housing, you mentioned. I, in my conversations as I go around this district, I talk to folks, some of whom say, yeah, you know, I'm ready or I'm close to ready to, I could move out of my place and probably should, but there's no attainable senior housing in my community, right? I want to move out and that would free up you know, other housing for families uh, uh, coming up. So I think there's a number of, of different pieces to it. Um, but I don't know, again, how the, how the governor breaks it down. But, yeah, when I look at it, I do look at it in those categories. How do we have housing for the missing middle? How do we have housing for, uh, for, for seniors so they can retire in their golden years in our community? So I do think there's a number of things that we can do. Um, I have a five-point five plan. Um, uh, uh, Before we get to that, yeah. can we kind of backtrack a little bit? I want to yeah. backtrack because you brought some good history here. Yeah. As you know, we had that recession in 2008. Yeah. And at, at that point, what had happened with the state is they took back the community redevelopment money. Yeah. Okay. And you know and I know that community redevelopment money, its intent, for the most part, was to build housing. 
or to build to improve the community than existence. So the state snagged that money back from all the cities, and as you know, the cities blotted and got everything as much as they could on the books before they had to hand over the cash to the yeah. state. Um, there is some talk back in, in, in Sacramento uh, that they want to bring community development money back. The governor um, is the old carrot and stick theory are coming yeah. out, where the governor is, is talking that in order for be willingness to give cities community development money. They got to build housing, and if they don't, I'm going to take that transportation money away from you. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think we have to leave that option on the table, right? There has to be the 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 option or the 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 threat of some sticks um, to get some communities in California to move. We've seen that, right? That's why he went ahead and sued Huntington Beach um, because they had put policies in place that really just prevented. Um, at all, the development of any really affordable housing in that in that community. So I, I think we do have to have that option um, on the table, um, and you know, which gets back to SB fifty two, right? I think that's that's an option um, on the table. I think the issue here is so when I look at my five point plan that I'm talking about, um, first of all, more dollars is part of it, right? And David Chu, who's endorsed me as chair of the housing uh, committee in. Uh, San Francisco, and I'm spending time talking to his team about his proposals around de- redevelopment. Also, low-income housing tax credits. Right now, as you may know, it's capped at $80 million annually. Uh, he has a proposal, and I'm working with him on uh, explaining that to $500 million of low-income housing tax credits. That's a very effective mechanism, and it's actually leveraged three to one with federal dollars. Well, I'm excited. You know, we interviewed David Chu, too, and we, we encourage yeah. you to listen to that. And I want to dovetail on a couple issues. We just finished interviewing and we haven't gone live with it yet was Armando Sanchez with Heart. Oh yeah. Okay. Right. And as you know, he's worked with uh, Joe Simidian and he's worked with the school districts to talk about housing for teachers, just of what you're passionate mm-hmm. about. As you know, up and down the peninsula we're closing schools yeah. uh, for some reason. And then we're, we're we're talking about building teacher housing. Um, there seems to be some mixed emotion on that. I mean w- one thing I'm a forty year realtor so what I see in the market dynamics is we're building rental housing. We're not building housing for people to purchase. Mm. That's also been an issue with teachers. Um, I talked about this affordable campus housing probably nine or ten years ago mm. on a debate for Foster City Council. Now, uh-huh. I will say the columnist's name. I won't mention it. He talked, said, what do you mean, dormitory housing? And I said, no, I don't mean dormitory housing. Because you brought up some successful projects. Sure. We have De Anza College. We have Stanford University. We, we have College of San Mateo. So why don't you address what you think we can do on the housing and, and for the teachers? But when you answer the question, I want another deep thought that, I, that I've grabbed a hold of, is our tax system. If a school teacher makes 4400 a month, mm-hmm. and I just do the normal, I'm not a CPA, but if I knew the normal taxation, right. federal, state, and tax dollars, that teacher probably could only afford, because of the taxes taken out, and I'm not anti-paying taxes, yeah. um, could probably afford a 1200 or $1,400 apartment. The proposed on some housing doesn't even have it that low yet. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Do we? How do we? How do we? This is a tough problem. It's a very tough problem, and um, you know, it, it's and it's not just teachers, but teachers are a prime example. I was talking um, 
through uh, work I'm doing with a coalition of faith-based groups that doing some is doing some broad-based organizing in Santa Clara and San Mateo County. We were at a at a um, uh, at a mobile home park in Sunnyvale, and I was with a very long-time teacher in Palo Alto who told me and told the group how she tried to buy into that mobile home park in Sunnyvale and couldn't afford it. And it was so important for her to live near her community, so she could be in the. Sh- you know, she's a kindergarten teacher. She she could be in the supermarket, and the kids see you, and it's like, oh my God, this is our teacher. You know, you don't live in the school. That's amazing. And you know, she has teachers. There's teachers in Palto that are community from Morgan Hill and from Gilroy and, and Aptos. I was with another teacher in Sunnyvale um, who was a JD MBA from Stanford who just had a passion for teaching, and she had to sell her house to help her uh, put her son through. Uh, grad school, and now she commutes in from Santa Cruz to Sunnyvale. Um, so, and then I was with the the uh, uh, police chief in, in Mountain View the other day. I said, "Hey, can your folks live in the area?" No, it's uh, you know the closest we can get um, is some places in the East Bay. Um, uh, you know, there's maybe one or two people in the in, in the department who you know had long term family connections, but. Otherwise, you know, can't live in the air. So it, it's a very serious problem. Uh, and you were forward thinking in your, uh, you were looking at this 10 years ago. But yeah, we have, there are models out there now. Um, you know, it's not the only, because again, 104 units doesn't solve the problem, but it's still 104 teachers. You know, we appreciate, I think most of the elected officials that I've talked to, and I have to say most of them are from the East Coast. I don't mm. want to promote the East <laughs> Coast, but they're, they're from Pennsylvania, Ohio, or anyway. One of the things that we pushed hard with the governor, and we're starting to hear this, and I talked about this 10 years ago, is the surplus land that we have in the county, city, and state state of California. Yeah. I'm hearing the words, and I don't know what you're hearing back there in Sacramento, because I know you're, you're, you're up there quite a bit uh, uh, lobbying for the good causes. And th- these areas are right near corridor transportation. And mm-hmm. now I know they're going to, they're trying to, pass more density housing there. Boy, that would sure be a great opportunity to build housing, workforce housing. So what's your take on the the city and county and state of building those corridor transportations? If I'm not mistaken, BART uh, and Caltrain's all have some surplus land that they're not really using. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. We're, we're talking, you know, I'm, uh, you know, the company that I ran for many years, which was a, a sort of a public interest project at Stanford Law School to bring transparency to the law and, and spun out, you know, want to be located near transit. Um, and we need to, that's for both housing and jobs, we want to be near transit. So I do think that's a big opportunity, um, especially for this government or, or surplus land. Um, again, we need to do things. We need to take community input into account. And I think that's what a lot of the city councils up and down the peninsula are trying to do. They're trying to negotiate and say, okay, should this be three stories, 12 stories, five stories? You know, I was in South San Francisco the other day. There's a lot of building going on. I'm not sure we're getting credit for all the building that actually is happening in San Mateo. And you know what? The city councils are trying to play that role and say, okay, yeah, we do need more housing, but we also have to listen to the community as well. Um, But yeah, I think it's a tremendous... Uh, opportunity and it makes sense. One of my, I'm sure we'll get to transportation. I'm sure you're probably going to bring that up, but that's another passion of mine. And 
Um, we're looking at a three-county measure right now. Well, let's dovetail uh, sure. into that because sure, I think sure. that's a really good starting point. First yeah. of all, I want to kind of backtrack. I'm excited that, first of all, 50%, not excited about this comment, but 50% of the cost is the land. Mm. Um, so building near the corridor transportation on surplus land with the state and the county yeah. is is wonderful. So I think that, but one interesting figure is, and the, and the state gives tax credit and sometimes the federal government for builders, which I think is wonderful. Mm. But the question I have in the narrative is, there's no study indicating that the people that buy in those areas take public transportation, and then I'm going to be a little devil's advocate. Why are we building two-car garages there when we could utilize that space to build maybe an extra unit? Mm-hmm. And are you not trying to take uh, transportation, quarter transportation? So that's one. But before you grab a hold of that, I want you to grab a hold of something, really, that, that's been real passion of us. Sure. We do not have a transit district in San Mateo County, mm-hmm. okay, which means BART, Caltrain, Samtram are all fighting for the same thing. Mm-hmm. I interviewed last year Seamus Murphy, uh, which is the communication director yeah. um, for the, this, uh, the Caltrains, the BART, and all that. And one of his things that I took away, which was kind of earth-shattering, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised, that he said Samtrams was for the elderly and the disabled. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I thought about it, when I grabbed a hold of it, it's probably true. Mm. Okay. But looking at the bigger picture, how come we don't have a transit district? Yeah. Well, I think it's a great question. Um, there's a group called Seamless Bay Area, and they have some, done some good work on this, right? And we do have, I think it's at least 23 agencies with overlapping uh, jurisdiction. And I think it does hinder our ability to promote uh, transit. Um you know, we, we don't have anything connected. You can't buy even, you can't even buy, you know, not only a fair, you know, schedule's not coordinated, but you can't buy one ticket and say, hey, great, I'm going to go Caltrain up to San Francisco and then I'm going to transfer, you know, to, uh, you know, light rail to where I need to go. You, you can't do that with one ticket. So I think there are examples, but I think I know because I've looked at this. I've, I've spent a lot of time now looking at what other cities, well, what I, regions are I doing. I want to encourage you to look on our podcasts menu. We've got an interview with an 18-year career Woodside, uh, Dave Tanner. Now, Dave Tanner has an idea. Yeah. I don't know if you've embraced his idea. Dave Tanner, as you know, Hills or uh, Tamfran eventually will be leveled. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the leveling of, of Tamfran, his proposal is a is a like a super bullet train that would hook to all of those cities where all those coming in, whether it's uh, Gilroy, Martinez, Stock, wherever it's going to it would be a 380 connection. Um, he was went to the Bay Area government. Um, he, he probably needs some work. We have a, a short video on our website, but I would encourage you to talk to Dave Tanner. We have to, like, you know, I looked at your resume. You kind of think outside of the box. I think yeah. we, we we always hear people saying thinking outside of the box, but the problem is we don't act outside yeah. of the box. No, I think it's very astute. And, yeah, that's, I think... A, yeah, a big part of what I bring, right, is a 20-year history of bringing people together from the private sector, nonprofit sector, government sector, support innovative ideas. And I certainly want to want to do that here. Um, and um, that's why, you know, I was that last week with Warren Slocum um, at, a, at a community listening session on the Dumbarton Rail, right? That's something that we've thought about for a long time and that now is, is much closer to fruition. I mentioned the three-county measure we're looking at for for Caltrain, right? Caltrain is no permanent source of funding. So getting from 65,000 riders to 105,000 riders, that 
is a no-brainer. That should happen with some improvements that are already mostly underway with electrification. But there's a plan in place to get Caltrain from 65,000 riders to 250,000 riders. And and it's very achievable, and I'm happy to talk about that more in depth. But we also have to look at innovative uh, ideas, too. Um, Sam Hindi in Foster City, your city has looked at hovercraft, right? And it's gone to Europe to study that, ferries. Um, I well, I think it's kind of exciting, and I saw in currently in Redwood City, the ferry system is no longer going to be operating. Yeah. Um, but let's go back to that, 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 that transportation model that we're talking about. The only thing we can claim in San Mateo County that connects us is a clipper card. That's the only thing. And believe me, I do the clipper card as often as I can to myself, so it's exciting to do that. So with the transportation, how do we, how do we grab a hold of, of, of and to make it intertwined? I'm going to give you a small example. I'm so excited to see that Facebook and Google are bringing those buses in to take people off the road. And if you notice on the bus, it says 120 right. less drivers. But the disappointing thing, the disappointing thing, and I cannot authenticate this, and I'm just listening to some of the people that ride these buses, that they're half full. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things I'm going to show you an example, the Peninsula Jewish Community Center uh, in Foster City, um, their 30 staff employees come from the East Bay. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I said, Paul, how can we get Facebook or Google or Salesforce to give you a ride? But I guess there's all kinds of strings and stuff like that. Do you think, I mean, you're, you're, you're come from a technology background, an activist background, that somehow we can incorporate even our private industries or our government agencies to kind of hook together and fill that bus? Well, I think it's an idea. It's certainly worth looking at. I mean, I, I think the, the way technology could be deployed there, right, is that, you know, if there are, you know, Hey, great, there's 10 seats available in this bus when it's leaving here. We know it's not going to pick people up, uh, you know, any more people in the next stop. So let's, you know, or have, you know, if those companies were to get people to sign up in advance and say, hey, great, there's 10 slots available on this bus. And, you know, if you were that commuter in from the, 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 the JCC there, then you could look on your app that morning and say, oh, great, there's an empty spot on the bus. I can just hop on. Well, right? we were so, told, the only thing I kind of got to get just from talking to people is, that, well, we don't want to bring somebody on the bus. They might divulge something that's going to happen at Salesforce or Apple or there's an insurance issue here. So I yeah. don't know. Is, or do you think these are things we can overcome? I think... It's to me. It seems like those are overcomable. Um, you know, um, you have people sign NDAs or something. It, it, you know, it seems like they are. I mean, uh, um, and again, that's you know, that's one example of creative thinking. I think there are, are many other examples out there. And I just wanted to take a step back to something I said, which again is looking at other regions. Right, we're not the only ones struggling with this. And there's a recent uh, great article in New York Times saying, for the first time, the East Coast is now envious of the West Coast around transit. Right, the East Coast pioneered. I mean, I think the subway system in New York. Unfortunately, now disinvestment starting to uh, crumble a bit, and in some other cities, and they were pointing to the West Coast, but they were not pointing to the Bay Area. They were pointing to L.A. and Seattle uh, primarily. Because okay, I want to get into a couple more issues because I'm, sure. I'm limited on time, and I know you are too. Okay, I want to talk about the homelessness um, in the state of California. Um, I've gone into Senator Weiner's office uh, probably a couple times, and the homeless issue. Um, it's pretty rapid in San Francisco, and it's pretty much across the state. And this is not just the homeless veteran. These are people from all categories. They could be a yeah. child. They could be a senior citizen. They could be a veteran. 
what's your proposal? What's your ideas on homelessness? How do we tackle that? Sure. Well, I think, um, and I was just reading today, right, and we, uh, you may remember that was only nine months ago that the, the former city manager said that the homeless population in San Mateo County, um, including homeless was virtually zero. And I think we know that's not the case. I was just talking to someone th- this week who's doing a site visit for um, uh, a community uh, sort of philanthropy, and they were at a school in, in East Palo Alto, and they said that uh, 50% of the kids in one of the schools they visited are technically homeless, right? So um, I don't think we could say the homeless population is is, is close to zero. Um, we have people living in their cars, living in RVs, um, and that's throughout the district too. Mountain View, very controversially, it's a very controversial issue. So um, we do have homeless and we do need to address it. What we found uh, across the board, and, and again, Full Circle Fund being a leader in, in uh, in, in this early on is supportive housing, right? If we can get people um, supportive housing, that it net-net is, is a financial benefit to society, let alone a, a moral benefit to society. Well, I want to congratulate you for that, that, that thought process. I know I was extremely disappointed with San Mateo County's um, proposed money for the homeless was just to do, get volunteers to do a survey. Um, well, and, and I think you've got some valid points. Somebody that's sleeping on somebody else's couch is homeless. Somebody yeah. that's sleeping in their RV is homeless. Somebody sleeping in their car is homeless. But sometimes those are statistically not put on the books. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Now, San Mateo has put Measure K, and I had an op-ed that was around the Almanac around allocating more Measure K money for, for the homeless. But Measure K, but the, the, the um, I do have to applaud the Board of Supervisors. They have allocated Measure K money to homeless, and I write about the example of... of a guy named Nils Wright, who was on the streets for 15 years after his wife passed away, through uh, Measure K dollars, ended up in affordable housing um, in Menlo Park, and he says he's productive, he's he's thriving, he's changed. Uh, let's let's dovetail into another major problem with the homelessness is, and it's also a problem in our society, um, probably throughout the country and probably throughout the world. And that's mental health. Um, yeah. one, one of the major issues that, that we have is in our curriculum or school, we don't teach mental health. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not saying that there's a course 101 or 102. We need to, to somehow, I would like to hear, what would you do going back to Sacramento? How can we get mental health as an issue? Because I think, as you know, that probably 50% of the homeless are suffering from some mental illness. Yeah. Well, mental health is an issue I'm very focused on from two vantage points. One is the one that you're speaking of. And then secondly, I want to come back to uh, mental health for our children in our schools because um, it's a crisis there as well. Um, but, you know, to your, to, to your first point, uh, <clears throat> you know, we do have to make it a priority because the problem without addressing that, then we have people who circle and end up back in and out of our emergency rooms, uh, our social service programs, and um, it's not good for them. They also take up so many resources. Uh, here's some stats for you. Um, we spent over $100 billion in this state on Medi-Cal right now. Um, studies now have shown that 50% of that money is for 5%. Um, of the users, we call them now super users. You know, some of those people do have long time, long term care needs, but some of those people do not. They have, because of mental health or drug issues or other things, that just cycle in and out of the emergency rooms at 50k a pop. And we now have some pilot programs where we can help those super users, help 
get them into housing, get them mental health services, um, and obviously helps them. And it's a great financial uh, savings also for um, our our society. So um, that is something I'm focused on. But I do want to focus on the second point too, which is mental health in our schools. We're showing this is I don't want to call it an epidemic. I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure rises to that level, but it, it's it's. I don't know. I don't think. I think it's close to calling it a crisis in our schools. I think it's almost. I feel the rare kid I hear about today in our high schools that does not, you know, uh, suffering from some depression or some strain. So um, the uh, level of we need more counseling resources in our high school. Uh, I've mentioned my daughter's at Menlo Atherton High School, um, and the counseling ratio just for academics, let alone for academic counseling, let alone for um, uh, any kind of mental health counseling. Is um, just too too high. I mean, we need more. Meaning that we need more counselors um, in those um, schools. Um, crisis text line, which is something that we've uh, supported and was started by a friend of ours. It, it, it's it, I don't have a remember the exact. That's millions of messages now being exchanged. Luckily, it's a good service because teens these days, you know, they don't want to pick up the phone. Well, you know, either. that's an interesting point. We did a. Um a Zoom room on gun control, and we brought people from different professions. We just yeah. didn't bring probation officers, social workers. We brought a, a couple techie people in. And one of the techie persons said, "We have nine one one, we have four one one. I'm not talking suicide prevention. How come we don't have a line for somebody that's on the line?" Mm. So I thought it was kind of kind of creative. Since we're up almost up for time, I want to get into a real controversial thing, and that's AI. Okay, artificial intelligence, sure. robots, yeah. uh, replacing. I, I listened to an NPR program uh, that was saying that this is in the next five to ten years, we could lose a substantial amount of workers that will be replaced by robots. They even said attorneys. Now, I don't know if attorneys will be embracing that. So w- what's your um, opinion of, of AI and um, coming from a techie background and, and, and uh, a legal background, too? Sure. Well, we could spend an hour on this topic, but so I'll try to uh, be brief about a, f- a few quick thoughts. Um, one is we have to remember AI has always been overhyped. So um, there's a presentation I give, and I have this quote, you know, how AI is ready for commercial application today. You know, and this was from 1986 from IBM. So, um, and Watson itself has been overhyped. So we, we do have to be a, a little careful about the, the hype. On the other hand, we, we do have to be forward thinking. And uh, if certain jobs are going to be, uh, affected, but how do we train people in other jobs? That's where my background really comes into play, and I think it's primed to um, represent this district here for the next, hopefully, 12 years, hopefully three terms, um, is to, to, to work in this. I, say, I serve on the state workforce board. Why did Jerry Brown appoint me to that board? Well, partly for to, to think about uh, these issues. Um, where are the jobs today? Where are the jobs going to be in five or ten years? And how do we prepare kids for those jobs, right? It's the old Wayne Gretzky quote, skates are where the puck's going to be, not where the puck is today. So that's why I work very closely with our community colleges here in San Mateo. That's with the UC system, where I was a founding trustee of UC Merced, our newest campus. Soon Can I interject one sure. thing? I heard something from Tim Cook, and I'm trying to grab a hold of it. I heard it on the NPR. Tim Cook said that 50% of his workers that were from the Bay Area don't have a college education. Hmm. Now, I don't, now, of course, that doesn't encompass the BVs of people. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But it dovetails into one thing that we forgot in the curriculum. And, and we, we need some type 
of training, some type of training in school. We used to have that kind of workshop, auto shop. Mm-hmm. We need something in back in the curriculum yeah. that will tell these young people they don't necessarily need to go to college, but they need to get in what they used to call trade school. Yeah. So what's your what's your thoughts on that? No, I agree. We have to have those options. So I think we're seeing it um, up and down. You know, tech and other industries. First of all, the you know on the workforce board, we deal a lot with middle skill jobs, right? These are PG&E technicians. That workforce is graying, and there's no one there to uh, follow up and and replace them. So, um, uh, and those are good jobs that yeah don't necessarily require a college education. We're working on apprenticeships. We want to have a hundred thousand new apprenticeships uh, across the various trades. Um, so those are opportunities. But yeah, you look at the the technology world, and so when I was running the company, we hired women from this program called Hackbright. Took women with no coding background, and in ten weeks had them through you know some novel methods and mentoring, and having them actually work on a project themselves, um, have you know about a ninety eight percent placement rate in in jobs and. And we hired a bunch of them as well. Josh, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, (laughs) I want to thank you for the opportunity to spend some time with us on Podcast by the Bay. Do you want to, uh, for our listeners out there, tell me about your website and where they can go to volunteer or make a donation to your campaign? Absolutely. That'd be great. Yeah, joshbecker2020.com, beckersenna2020.com. That's our website, and you can go there, find out more information about me, um, help out. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, Josh. That was Leo DeVito performing the song entitled Blue Bossa. Well, we hope you enjoyed the show, hearing Josh Becker on his vision of the District 13 State Senate seat. And once again, if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, at podcastbay is our handle, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash podcastbythebay. And remember, you can listen to our show anytime. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, on any podcast site. Until next time, stay tuned.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. Podcast by the Bay is brought to you by Highway Soul Productions. Check us out at highwaysoul.com and in conjunction with Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com Remember to subscribe and download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. You can contact Podcast by the Bay by their email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. All material is property and copyrighted by Podcast by the Bay, but does not necessarily reflect the views of Podcast by the Bay. For sponsorship opportunities, please contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Stay tuned.